0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcasts and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Man, I uh, I'm so I'm excited about a lot of things. Uh, I'm excited that it's spring. Uh, I love winter because I love snowboarding, but since I don't always have the money to do it, I'm pretty happy to just to see spring roll around since I don't get to use it for what it's worth anyway. So I'm happy that it's spring. And you know when it's spring, you know what happens in springtime for you when you're a pastor of a church with a high concentration of young adults, it becomes wedding season, right? And uh, I have done a lot of weddings actually since I got my celebrants license Secretly I did some before I got that as well But we won't talk about that because that is legal and wrong And anyway we should move on So, so um, uh, I, I've done actually a, a lot of weddings And you know when it's wedding season um, uh, People come to me and they say Hey we want to get married, we're in love I'm like that's awesome And then I say, well, you know, we're going to have to fill out the paperwork. And uh, yeah, people still do paperwork, like I said. And so we start to fill out that paperwork. Now, one of the really important things that I need from people when they decide to get married is I need to know who they are. So I ask them if they have a license because it tells me who they are. I ask them if they have a passport. They're allowed to use a birth certificate, but I just need something to identify who they are. So when they come together and they're married, it's all done official and it works properly and all the rest. You know, who you are, when it comes to your identity, it's actually really, really important thing. It's important how you identify yourself. If you go to a party... Or if you haven't been to one of those for a long time, say you meet someone new and you introduce yourself. It's only a subtle thing, but oftentimes people don't say, hello, my name is. No one says that. They say, I'm. So I don't walk in and say, hello, my name is Ben. I say, I'm Ben. Do you know why I say I'm Ben? Because it's who I am. My name is actually my identity. It's its who I am. If you meet someone new, you say, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm Frank. I'm Sally. That's who I am. You know, its like, it's just who you are. You just introduce yourself. Your name or who you are is connected to your history. It's connected to your bloodline, your family, your relatives. You know, that's part of who you are. It's part of you know, part of it is being tied to your previous experiences. And don't the sum of all these things come towards your identity and make sort of who you are. So who are you? You can go ahead and say your name, but that's a lot deeper than just saying your name. Who are you? You got to think about that. Let's just begin with this. I'm going to read a scripture to you. And it there we go. I'm going to read a scripture to you. It comes out of Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 17. It says, For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's pray. God, I just pray that today your, your words would stick to us. I want to be shaped by what I read. I always pray that there would be a spirit of revelation present because although the information might be good, if we don't receive it, we're no better off. I pray, God, that today that we'd receive something from you. And God, I just thank you this morning that you are our Father. I thank you, God, that you love us, that you care for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you died on the cross to set us free from the power of sin that can dominate our lives. And God, this morning, we just love you. I thank you that I get to be a father. I thank you for all the dads that are here today. And God, I just pray your grace to be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. My goddaughter's name is Faith. Faith was adopted from China. She came to us when she was nine months old. And my aunt and my uncle, they went over to China to pick her up. It was so exciting. I remember going to the airport and our whole family was just waiting for them to come through the gates so we could see her. And they bring out this, you know, this cute little girl and they carry her through. And we're like, oh my gosh, there she is. We were waiting for her and she was so beautiful. And, you know, as as she began to grow up, uh, her parents, my aunt and my uncle, they decided that at an early age that they would tell her that she was adopted, we thought she 'd figure it out anyway. <laughs> you see, she looks a little different to us. She's Asian. We're not. She has beautiful tan skin. My family, we look like yeti people. We're white. If I ever go to the beach with you and I take my shirt off, which I would not threaten that with anyone, but if I did, don't look directly at me. If the sun happens to be shining upon me, you could damage your retina. (laughs) She has beautiful tan skin. She has beautiful eyes, right? But she looks different. She has this long, dead straight, of course, you know, black hair. She's just so cute, but she looks different to us. But you know what? She is our family. She's one of us. You know, when she grows up, you know, she's been growing up around my cousins and my family and, you know, my aunt and my uncle. They've raised her from nine months old. She's absolutely part of our family. Even though she looks different, she's adopted. She's one of us. Did you know? That every Christian is adopted. Every one of us. And we all look a little bit different, but we're all adopted by the same dad. We're adopted by our father. Now, here's the crazy part. Not every Christian feels adopted. Not everybody feels that way. They, they, they know in some sense that Jesus is their saviour. Let me explain to you how this works. If you've confessed that Jesus is your Saviour, then you may not have been aware of it, but the same time you gained the Saviour, you actually gained a Father. And if you've got the Son, you've got the Father. But not everybody feels like this. There are plenty of people who are able to connect with the Son. Why? Well... We kind of know what the son is like. We uh, read about him. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You know, what's the father like? Well, let's remember one thing. Jesus said, I only ever did what I saw my father doing. So if you see the father, you've got the dad and you know what he's like based on how the son behaves. But the truth is, is that not every Christian feels like they actually have the father. Do you understand that to have God as your father, it could actually remain? And I don't think this is a shock to anyone here. It can actually remain as a concept. And we talk about God being your father. I mean, gosh, we've been talking about it all morning. We're talking about the love of the Father. We talk about Him being our Dad, our spiritual Dad. He's the Father of of all humanity. He's the Father of lights. But man, I'm telling you, that can just be a concept. Did you know that it takes faith to actually make that a reality? Did you understand that by faith we please God? By grace we're saved through what? In Christ. Amen. We're saved by our Ability to believe what God says. So even though the Father always exists and He's there, it's our faith that in some sense actually brings that home and makes it a reality. But not everybody feels like God is their Father. They just don't. Now, if you are here today and you have made a decision to follow Christ but you have a real hard time connecting with God as your father. You're not a slave because you've been set free from the power of sin, but you're not quite a son because you're a, you don't really see God as your father. You're fatherless. Do you know what we call that? We call that an orphan. And an orphan, the word orphan actually means a child whose parents are dead. The New King James translation translates the word orphan as fatherless. I thought that's a pretty good rendition based on the meaning. But the Scripture that we read this morning doesn't say anything about that. It says no. It says that He's our Father. In fact, it says that He is our Abba Father, which is a term that was reserved for that very close, intimate relationship like God is your daddy. And that sounds kind of crazy. In fact, some of you, depending on the kind of church that you may have belonged to, you hear you're a guest, you're a, a new Christian, you're not a Christian, you're like your daddy? That just sounds weird. And yet that's the term that we read as Paul writes Romans he says yes he's your daddy he says that if he's your dad that makes you a son let me just clarify one thing for you this morning oftentimes the Bible would use the word son I'm going to tell you that that means and daughters too so let's say child of God but it uses the word son so sons and daughters that makes you a child of God now if you're a son of God then you become an heir. And the word heir means under the Father. So, in order to be a son, you need to have a father. In order to be an heir, you actually need to be under the Father. But there are sons and daughters who've con- confessed Christ and they still live with an orphan spirit. You see, an orphan spirit actually means that you have the Father but you just practically live fatherless. You have the Father, you just live fatherless. So you kind of know if you've got an orphan spirit, this is some of the signs that you could have an orphan spirit. And Man, maybe for some of you today, this could come as revelation. You could hear what I'm about to say today and realize, I think that's me, which is, by the way, awesome. Because it means that everything can get better than it already is. So here's how you might know if you've got an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit always operates from a place of insecurity. You're just insecure. People's opinions about you really matter to you. You really worry about what everyone thinks about you. You always have to have your ear in every conversation, in every situation. If your name was mentioned, you want to know the context. Well, how were they talking about me? I want to know how I was presented. I need to be presented in the right light. Make sure you talk about me right. I want to make sure it's okay. You can have an insecure spirit. A person with an insecure spirit holds this belief. If I sin less, God will love me more. The better I'm doing as a Christian, the more God loves me. I think that is the greatest lie, one of the greatest lies the world has ever believed. Because you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. Is that not the system that the world subscribes to? You ask a person who is not a Christian and you say, are you going to heaven? They'll say yes, how do you know if you're going to heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. How do you determine that? I do lots of really good things. You see, people the world over carry that belief that when I sin less, God loves me more. But what if I was to tell you today that whether you absolutely royally screw up in life or not, God's love for you is unchangeable. What if I was to tell you today that no matter how bad you mess up, God's love for you, it just doesn't shift. It just doesn't change. I remember the day that I became a dad and it was such a powerful moment. And I remember uh, on the very first day, I think Sarah had to leave the room and we had a, a room to ourselves. And so I held my son Judah in my arms. And I don't mind saying that as I held him, I looked into his eyes And man, I could have got drowned in those eyes. I don't know what was going on around me. I was just fixated on him. I loved him so much. Man, I had tears coming out of my eyes. He hasn't done a thing for me. Nothing. I'm just looking at him. I thought to myself, I don't think I could love anything more than this person right here, right now. I don't think I could love anything more than this. And then in the months that followed, he didn't let us sleep. And I realized I could possibly love sleep more. No, that's not true. That's not true. I just knew that. <laughs> Someone said that is true because he's a dad. That's why he said it. He knows. And the thing is, is that I just, I just loved him completely. We actually had Judah's school concert on Friday just gone. And so all the kids are getting prepared and they've been planning for this thing for a whole term and there was dress ups and everything like this and they bring the kids out and these like like all these kids come out and I'm just scanning for who for my own kid there's kids everywhere i mean i'm sure they're precious whatever i'm looking for my kid i'm looking for my son cuz i mean he's better than all of them right so so eventually they bring out in in the next sort of group of songs that they sing they bring out, uh, I don't know, but my son was there and he's standing on stage. There's probably about a hundred kids there. I don't know. I found that out later because I only saw one. I'm just fixated on him the whole time. I was fixated on him when he was born. I'm fixated on him when he's singing. I'm just watching him. Now, do you think that when he began to sing, I know he didn't know the words. Because he kept looking at the other kids. And, and, and sometimes his actions were like a second later, right? I can see that, right? I didn't love him any less. I was just as fixated on him than, than the day that he was born. And man, you know what they did? They got, then eventually they got all those kids off. And then they brought out these teachers and they started singing, yeah, they're, they're all right, I guess. I'm like, why don't we get that Judah kid back? He was awesome. Get him back in here. He stole the show. Why? I'm a dad. I got eyes for my son. Isn't it awesome to know that our father has eyes for us? Isn't it awesome to know that your dad, your father in heaven, actually loves you? But if you got an orphan spirit, What I'm talking about is just a concept for you. It's stuff that people talk about in church, and you're sitting there and thinking, I wish I could connect to that, but I can't. I know Jesus, I'm just not sure what the Father's doing with all of his time up there. What is he doing? See, if you've got an orphan spirit, you start to gain your love through acts of service towards God. Your way that you receive love is that your service becomes performance-based. You become success-orientated. The more you serve God, the better He loves you. Now, here's the crazy thing, man. We're always looking for volunteers. We're advertising for our Christmas service. If you can sing, we want to hear from you. Thinking about applying myself but I already was banned. So not going to let me. But what if I told you that, you know, we really want you to serve, but it doesn't matter if you do or you don't. God's not going to love you anymore. I mean, I care if you serve, but He probably doesn't as much as I do. We always need people to stand up and, you know, take weight and responsibility. It really helps us run a church. But man, God's not going to love you anymore if you do. Let me read a scripture to you. Paul wrote this to the church uh, and he wrote this to the Galatians. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision that he's obliged to keep the whole law. You severed from Christ. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. Circumcision is part of a works-based covenant that brings you into this close and intimate relationship with God. When Jesus came, the covenant of works was done away with. Except the problem here is that some people are saying, no, 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 we've still got to have circumcision. That's something that we still keep. And Paul says to the church of the Galatians, he says, no, listen. If you think that you actually need to be circumcised to get into a relationship with God, you're actually obliged to keep the whole law. He's saying if you think that the little things that you do are going to bring you into a close and intimate relationship with God and it's based on your works or what you can achieve or what you can do. Circumcision was just a part of it. If you think that that matters, then by the way, you can throw out all the grace because you're actually resting on your works to bring you closer to God. And that's not the way a covenant of grace works. Now, when we say to people, they fell from grace, it is synonymous With this kind of thought, they're in a high position and they failed morally or some other way. And they fell from their position to be somewhere down here. I don't know. They fell from grace. right. You can fall from grace with man in the eyes of man, but you'll never fall from grace with God. In fact, when you mess up, when you sin... That's when grace becomes active in your life. See this. The only way that you can fall from grace is when you lean on your works. So actually, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And the only time that starts to not work in your life was when you think you can get closer to him by your acts of service. But if you've got an orphan spirit, it's really easy to lean on that. If you've got an orphan spirit, you can start to just think, well, maybe it's the good things that I do that make God love me more. If you've got an orphan spirit, you can self-medicate through the relationships that are around you. And man, this is really sad. And people do this, non-Christians and Christians alike, when they don't have the security and the love from their father. You know what they do? They will look for relationships that will replace that, that insecurity with security. And here's what's really sad is that, you know, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't want you to feel judged all. There's no condemnation here. This is non-Christians, Christians doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're people. We're humans. People do this, okay? They look to fill relationships any way they know how. And sometimes that means that people will move from one sexual partner to another just looking for that person to fill them with what they really need, that security. And here's what's really sad. With every subsequent encounter, it becomes more real than what they need they don't have actually leaves people in a place of brokenness and, 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 and the more hungry that people come for it, the further out of reach it actually seems. It's an orphan spirit. If you've got an orphan spirit, you get jealous of other people's success. Not because they succeeded, but it just means that you're worse than them. That you didn't do as good as them which means your identity is subject to the success of people around you, but there's nothing secure about that. When you see other people succeed, are you genuinely happy for them to do well in life? It's like you thought that your salary was really good until you spoke to your work colleague and you found out they were getting paid more than you. And suddenly you start to measure yourself against them. And if you ever get into the comparison trap and start to measure yourself against other people and jealousy is evoked in your heart, you start to break out and you're like, why am I not as good as them? And you start comparing your success to other people. Man, it is a road to a works-based mentality. All of this stuff is roads to work-based mentalities. And as we read in the scripture that we saw, he said, you've received the spirit of grace the spirit of works is the thing that makes you fall back into slavery. Don't ever do that. But if you've got an orphan spirit, man, it's so easy for you to do this. If you've got an orphan spirit, it's really easy for you to attach your identity to all the wrong stuff. And there is only one cure for the orphan spirit. And it's the love of a father. It's the love of the Father. It's the cure for the orphan spirit. Here's something that Jesus said. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. Jesus never wanted to leave his disciples to be orphans. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Because if you are, he doesn't want you to be an orphan. In fact, what he really wants, if you read through Scripture consistently, he says, I want you to actually be I want you to be a son. And what's sad is that millions of Christians are living like orphans instead of sons. They live with these thoughts. They live with with this mentality because a son says what an orphan can't. You know, dads, having a dad, dads are awesome. I remember when I was a a kid and uh, when I was in primary school, And uh, if you would ever get into an argument with another kid, and it looked like something's about to go down. That was a trump card that you could play. It goes a little something like this. You're about to lose and you go, yeah, I'm going to get my dad onto you. (laughs) Yeah, right? Why? Because you've seen the way that your dad just throws you around. You know how strong he is. And you know what you think? You think well, I'm going to lose. What the heck am I fighting this for? I'm just going to get my dad in here. And then they say back to you, well, I'm going to get my dad onto you. And then you're like, whoa, hang on. Now everyone's threatening their dads. It's like we, we may just want to think about it, but it's awesome because you're just saying, I'm going to get my dad in here because it's awesome when your dads can come in and fight your battles for you, isn't it? Let me tell you a really cool story about a guy whose dad fought his battle for him. You may have heard of this story. It's the story of David and Goliath. This is classic. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard the story. The story of David and Goliath is David is just looking after sheep. He's in the sheepfolds and his dad comes to him and he says to him, Hey, David, I want you to go and take this food. I want you to take this to your brothers who are on the battle lines. His brothers were in a war. And the Israel were fighting against the Philistines. And so what they had is they had a raid on one side, all the Philistines and the Israel on the other. The Philistines had this giant, this man mountain, this guy that was just so frightening. I mean, he was humongous. His name was Goliath. And Goliath would come out and he'd taunt Israel and he'd say, send us your best warrior. And he would insult them, your, your dogs, your this, you that. He'd say all these things. And so David gets down and he's taken this, Food and stuff to his brothers, and he's like, "So guys, what's happening? What's what's going on?" Like, oh yeah, you know that guy Goliath. He's uh, man, you don't know what he's been calling us. He called us dogs and things. David's like, "What? The, the Goliath is doing that?" They're like, "Yeah." He goes, "Do you know that Goliath is uncircumcised?" They're like, "Yeah, we know that. Thank you for sharing." David might have been an oversharer. I don't know. Have you ever met an oversharer? Anyway, you're like, you should have stopped a little while ago. So he says, oh, he's uncircumcised. He says, hey, what happens if we defeat this giant? What happens if we defeat Goliath? He goes, oh, you get to marry the daughter of King Saul. They're like, he's like, that sounds pretty good to me. It's like, yeah. So the, he, he says this, and his brothers are like, David, get out of it, man. Like, you, go back and look after sheep. That's what you're good at. And David, like, he goes to King Saul. And so he's like, I want to fight Goliath. He's like, look at you. You're a kid. Are you kidding me? He goes, look, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, I fought lions and bears, and surely they're, they're like wild animals. They're huge. They've got claws and teeth and everything. I mean, they've got to be tougher than Goliath. Trust me. I mean, I can take him. And Saul, which is amazing to me, says, all right, well, if you're going to do this, we better get you suited up, right? So he gets the helmet and he gets his own armor and he puts it on him. But Saul's like huge and and David's much shorter than him. So he puts it around. He's like, I can't move in this stuff. He says, I'm going to fight him. And by the way, Saul, do you know that Goliath is uncircumcised? Saul's so like, yeah, I know. Thank you for sharing. Has anyone ever told you, David, you're an oversharer? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's, he's. anyway, he's uncircumcised. He goes out to battle. He doesn't wear any of the stuff. He puts the stones in his sling. He says that the giant steps towards him. He steps out. He, he, he swings around one of the stones. It goes whistling through the air. Hits the giant square in the head. Sinks deep into his forehead. Israel are just like, oh my gosh, did you see that? The Philistines are like, what the heck just happened? He comes and he gets Goliath's own sword. You know you've lost when someone kills you with your own sword? <laughs> he takes out this sword and he cuts his head off. He's like, done. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And absolutely, it is Amazing. But there is something that's happening in the background of this story that we may want to pay attention to. And it has everything to do with when David was saying that he was uncircumcised. You see, David was saying two things. He's uncircumcised. He was saying, by definition, we're circumcised. What does that mean? So glad you asked. I figured it's been a while since I brought circumcision into a message. It just felt like this was the time to talk about it. Dave's just sitting down here with his legs crossed. I'm not even going to deal with that. So here is the thing, okay? That's oversharing right there. Thank you for your support. So here is the thing. The reason he was saying that is because actually when he was saying he's uncircumcised, he was saying, actually, we're circumcised. We're part of a covenant. The Abrahamic covenant included a whole bunch of things in it. And circumcision was the seal. It was the sign. It was the token that you'd actually entered into that covenant. Now, who made it in relation to David? David's father, father Abraham made that covenant. And part of that covenant said a whole bunch of things. But among it, it said you will possess the gate to your enemies, which means you'll have victory over your enemies in battle. So you see, when David was saying he's uncircumcised, he's actually making a faith statement. And he's saying, you know what? I'm assured victory in this. I can see the odds right now. I know how crazy it looks, but I'm going to lean on the covenant of my father Abraham, who I've entered into. I've entered into this covenant with God through my father Abraham, who gave us circumcision as the sign to enter into that covenant. And I'm assured victory over my enemies. Do you know what Daniel eleven thirty two says? It says that those that know their God shall stand firm and take action. When you know your God, it gives you the capacity to stand firm and take action. That's exactly what, what David did in that moment. He stood firm. He took action. The only reason he fought the battles, he believed the inherited victory through a covenant with his father. What odds are you facing today that seems so unlikely that you will prevail, that it's absolutely crushing to you? Because there's another gate that Jesus talks about. In the New Testament, here's what he says. He says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Now, when he said, when he was talking about that, he talked about his ecclesia. He was talking about the community of his people on heaven and earth. He said, whatever forces array against the people of God, the gates of hell, they will not prevail against you. They will not win. There are gates that sometimes try to open against us but they will not prevail. And the gates that will not prevail against us, the gates of hell, you know what that was sealed with? Blood, the spilling of blood was always the seal of a covenant. And in this story that we read about the gospel, the seal of this covenant was made with Jesus' own blood. You see, a son can say what an orphan can't, but they also get what an orphan doesn't. Can I read something to you out of Galatians? In chapter four, it says, and because you are sons, God has spent, sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Daddy, Father," so that you're no longer a slave by your works, but you're a son by grace through faith in Christ. And if a son, then you become an heir through God, because you're under your Father. You see, the Spirit of His Son cries, "Father." The spirit of a son cries, Father. Orphan spirits don't do that. Orphan spirits, by definition, spirited people, they're fatherless. They don't cry out to their Father, but the Spirit of God is sent into our hearts, into the hearts of sons and daughters. And He testifies to us that what we should do when we're pressed up against the wall, when we need help, we should say, Father, I need you right now. It actually feels like the gates of hell are about to prevail against me. Let the Spirit that's inside of you cry, Father. See, here's what you need to know. You need to know if you've got an orphan spirit or if you're a son. Because orphans are victims, but sons become victorious. Sons receive an inheritance. You know, the cool thing about an inheritance, or well, just the thing about inheritance is, is that you don't get it till the person that you're under passes away and then it comes to you. The cool thing about this inheritance is that it was made available on Jesus' death, which means before you took your first breath, the inheritance that God wants to give you was available to you before you even chose Him, which means you don't have to wait for it. It's actually present tense. It's here and now and here's what you get. Here's part of your inheritance. As a Christian son under your father, you get a father who's already fought your battles and won. We call that the Gospel. It's the Gospel. He's fought your battle. He's won. What you need to do is learn to live in victory. And here's the amazing part. It's actually available to anyone. It's not exclusive. This victory, this hope, this joy, This inheritance, it's available to everyone who believes. So can I just ask you a question today? And I'm going to close with these thoughts. What does your spirit cry? What does your spirit cry? The Apostle John said that perfect love casts out all fear. So what do you feel from your Father when you sin? Do you feel love from Him when you mess up? Do you feel the warmth of His embrace when you just make a mistake? Or do you feel something entirely different? Do you feel estranged from your Father when you mess up? Do you feel like when you sin that He takes a step back from you? You're already saved by grace. The only way that you can fall from that position if you think... That you can get close to Him by your good works. Your good works, the things that you do, it actually doesn't change His love towards you. If you mess up, if you don't mess up, His love towards you is all the same. What do you feel when you sin? Do you ever feel like God just wants to leave you? Is 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 your sin God's exit strategy? Is like, I was waiting for this moment when you would mess up and now that's it. I'm out of here. Is that what you think? How often do you feel estranged from the presence of God just because you've messed up? I'm telling you, He made a promise to you that He'd never leave you or forsake you. He's more committed to that promise than you could be to Him. So He's not gonna leave you based on what He says, not on what you say and not on what you do? Do you feel crushed by the opinions of other people? Do you live with an insecure spirit? Are you starved for affection and looking for it in all the wrong places? And are you broken by the rejection of friends, family, mothers, daughters, ex-husbands, ex-wives, by children? Are you absolutely crushed by all those things? Because I'm telling you, man, there is hope for you there is hope for you. You need to be smarter than what you feel because no matter what your spirit is crying out, His spirit is crying out, son, daughter, you are loved. I am over you. I am over your life. It doesn't matter what your spirit is crying out. You gotta listen to what His spirit is saying. Put that stuff away and remember, it's okay to let God speak to you through your emotions. But when your emotions conflict with the Word of God and He says, you're a son, you're loved, your works won't bring you close to me, your sin won't push you away, you're already forgiven for that. You gotta disregard what you're hearing and just make a decision to believe what you know